Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, thank you so much for being, Lord, not a complacent God, not an apathetic God, not a God who just says whatever, but Lord, for being a God who sent his only begotten son, who said the son of man is coming to seek and to save that which was lost. Give us your heart tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now if you like to turn in your Bibles now, we're on our ninth message here on Behold the Blood. We're going to look at the text first, but then we're going to do, uh, going to back up a little bit, but okay. So uh, Luke chapter 22 verse 19 through 20. This is our key text. It's a very familiar text. It's our very key text. It's our key text for tonight to consider. Luke twenty-two nineteen, And he took bread and gave thanks and brake it and gave unto them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. Now, before we really get into this part of the message, I just want to say that last week, we took a little vacation, a little interim, I should say, from our series on Behold the Blood, which we're coming back to tonight. But last week, we finished our three-part series showing how Jewish evangelism is seeking to get the Isaiah 1-9 very small remnant saved. And we saw from Isaiah 1-9 how important it is to get to get them saved, because the Jewish remnant is the only reason, the only reason that Israel is not destroyed today, is not destroyed by God today. And then we saw from Zechariah 8, 22 through 23, Zechariah 8, 22 through 23, how important it is for Israel to not be destroyed, because Israel will save the world by bringing the world to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the picture that God has, has let us see in Zechariah 8, 22 through 23. So that shows us that when anyone, not just Israel restoration, but anyone, Jews for Jesus, friends of Israel, when anyone works in Jewish evangelism, or you as you volunteer, when anyone works in Jewish evangelism to get the remnant saved, they are really working towards the salvation of the world. What's more important than that? I mean, how would that look on your eternal resume? And I work for the salvation of the world. All right. Now, where we ended last week was in Zechariah 8.22, Zechariah 8.22 again, where we saw all the world coming to the Jew so that the Jew could bring the world to God, to the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Now, that left open some questions, and I realized that. That left open the question, how exactly will the Jewish people save the world by bringing the world to the Lord Jesus Christ in Jerusalem? 
That's a question. Another question is, where do the 144,000 in Revelation 7 fit into this picture? Are they the remnant? Are they all the remnant at that time? And now, I'll tell you the answer to these questions and the answer to many more questions about how the Jews will bring the world to be saved. And the answer is, I don't know. I don't know. And, and because, I, because I don't know, that's where I stop. I stop here. Because to me, the Bible is very clear on certain points and not clear on other points. So that means I don't speculate. I don't want to speculate about the tribulation and Jacob's trouble and the day of God's wrath and the return of the Lord Jesus and Armageddon and the bear from the north and Russia and Iran and the Antichrist and the 144,000 and the rapture and the millennium. I don't speculate that because I'm not sure. I'm not sure about the exact details of what exactly will happen by who and at what time. I mean, I just don't know the what, who, and when of all that. And so we, we, and we all want to know those things, but God has chosen to just give us little certain informations, not all the details. So rather than to speculate, we just, we just look at what God has told us and we realize there are some mysteries. There are some mysteries to this. So, so that's where I stop and, and, and is what can be clearly seen in the Bible, which was, number one, God will save the world through the Jewish people. Number two, the Jewish people would be absolutely 100% completely destroyed today if there was not the very small Jewish remnant of believers in the Lord Jesus. They are responsible for the preservation of Israel during this horrible time right now. I'm not talking about the tribulation. I'm talking about this horrible time in Israel's history called the time of Israel's unbelief. We are in the time of Israel's unbelief. And number three, what we saw. This time of Israel's unbelief, it's only temporary. It's only temporary. God is going to correct it. The Lord Jesus himself, will he will be the one who will be responsible for correcting this unbelief in Israel. That was, that was given to at his birth when the angel announced to Joseph that his name would be Jesus, which means God will save and the reason he was given this name is very clear in Matthew 121. Matthew 121, very familiar verse we like at Christmas time. She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And when it says he shall save, that means he will deliver. He will deliver his people, his Jewish people, from their sins. That's referring to the Jewish people. And after he delivers his Jewish people from their sins, then all Israel will be saved, according to Romans 11. And this is described in Romans eleven twenty six, 26, where it's, it talks about the deliverer that's going to come out of Zion. And this deliverer is going to turn away ungodliness or unbelief from Jacob. Romans eleven twenty six. 26. Romans eleven twenty six. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Now, the process, the process of delivering Israel by turning away the ungodliness is called in the Bible the purging of the rebels. It's called the purging of the rebels in Ezekiel 20, verse 38. Ezekiel 20, 38 says, God says, I will purge out from among you the rebels and them that transgress against me. I will bring them forth out of the country where they're sojourned. They shall not enter into the land of Israel. You should know that I am the Lord. This process of turning away ungodliness from Jacob is also called the refining and purifying. 
the refining and purifying, where God says, he's, God says, in essence, look at the refiner. Look how he sits down and he, and he turns up the heat on the silver to melt it. And he describes this in the last book of the, of, of, of the Old Testament before the great 400-year silence, the book of Malachi. Malachi 3.3, where God says, is that he shall, it says about God, he, God, shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer uh, unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. And when God turns up this ultimate heat of purification, it'll be when God himself gathers all nations of the world, of the, and they'll all be gathered against Israel to be, and, and against Jerusalem, and that's given to us in Zechariah 14.2. Zechariah 14.2, where God says, I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And a horrible description is taken here. The city shall be taken, the house is rifled, the women ravished. Half the city shall go forth into captivity. The residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. And just when it appears, just at the moment when it appears that, the, that all those nations that God had gathered against Israel, when it appears that they're about to destroy Israel and say, good, we get to go home soon with mission accomplished, when it appears as though they're going to destroy all the Jewish people, then the Lord fights against those nations. He turns and he fights against those nations that he gathered against Israel in Zechariah 14, it, it, to, like I was saying, 14.2, that verse, you know, I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. But then the next verse, verse 3, Zechariah 14.3, then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. Now, that's as far as we can go without speculation. Could speculate, but no, I don't want to speculate. All right. Now we return to our, our, our series now, Behold the Blood. Behold the Blood series. This is our studies. And what we've seen is what the blood of the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. And, and you'll remember how we, we looked at the last words of the Lord Jesus when he's dying on the cross, his last words in John 19.30, which you have in your bulletin, John 19.30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. So this series is based on the Hebrew word from the cross, the Hebrew word, because he, didn't, he wasn't speaking Greek from the cross, he was speaking Hebrew. And, and his last word that he spoke from the cross is the same last word in the Psalm 22, which is a description of the crucifixion. It's the word asa, asa, the Hebrew word asa. Asa means done or accomplished, accomplished. So what he said from the cross is, it is accomplished. And our studies have sought to answer this question, what? What was accomplished? What did his death accomplish? What did his blood accomplish? And we've seen that his blood accomplished, and as you, as you now know, you don't have to worry about writing down all these references because they're in your bulletin. But what we have seen that the blood accomplished for us is the removing of our sins from Hebrews 9.22, the redemption of our souls from 1 Peter 1.18-19, the covering or the atonement, the atonement or covering of our sins from Leviticus 17.11, are the reconcil our reconciliation with God from Ephesians 2.13, the cleansing of our souls from 1 John 1.17, our peace with God from Colossians 1.20, our justification with God from Romans 5.9, the making of our robes white from Revelation 7.14, the sanctification of our souls from Hebrews 13.12, our overcoming from Revelation 12, 11, and the last one, 
we, we covered in the last time we are studying, our boldness to come to God from Hebrews 10.19. What a wonderful and thrilling list that is for us. And by the way, that would be a great list of those points and scriptures for you to memorize, for you to memorize, because it brings such great encouragement for us, and it gives substance, because as Christian was talking about being detailed and specific in prayer, this gives us substance that we can praise the Lord for and thank him for. It also gives us substance when a person says, well, why should I? Why, 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 why should I, why should I uh, do as you say and, and receive Jesus? Why should I do that? I know he died for my sins, but why? This is why. It's these points here. Now, we turn now to another great accomplishment of the blood of the Lord Jesus, and we see this in this, this verse we just read in, in Luke 22, 19 through 20, but specifically in Luke 22, 20, where he said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. This is an accomplishment when he says that. The word testament means covenant or agreement. So his blood accomplished for us our agreement with God, our covenant with God. Our agreement for what? To forgive us and to accept us. Now his blood accomplished that. His blood, his blood accomplished that covenant for us. Now the Lord said that, and by the way, this is, as you know, called the Last Supper. It's the Last Supper with his, his apostles was actually the last Passover, and not only was it the last supper, because it was the last Passover that he ate with his apostles, but it was the last Passover because it was at this Passover when he would become the long-anticipated Passover lamb. He would become, he, he was the long-expected Passover lamb. He was the ultimate and last Passover lamb. He, he would be, at that Passover, the Passover lamb that all the millions of Passover lambs before him pointed to. Ever since Moses instituted the Passover on that eventful night in Egypt, every annual, every, every time the same year, Passover and all those lambs, they looked as like a prophecy. They were looking as a prophecy to the coming last Passover of God. When man, when God would become man to die to protect man from the death of hell. And all those millions of lambs, they just seemed to cry out as each one died, where is he? Where's the last Passover lamb of God? I mean, Balaam's donkey talked to Balaam when Balaam, he needed talking to, so God made the donkey talk, okay? And just imagine if every Passover lamb would, would talk also. Just imagine as, as, as every Passover lamb would sing before it would be killed. Every Passover lamb, I know you think this is crazy, but never mind. It, 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 every Passover lamb would sing, and the Passover lamb would say, don't look at me. And it would sing this song. If you are longing to be free, look to the Lamb of God. He to redeem you died on Calvary. Look to the Lamb of God. Look to the Lamb of God. Look to the Lamb of God. He alone is able to save you. Look to the Lamb of God. See, every lamb would sing that. And that's why it would be better to call this the last Passover instead of the last supper. That's a better term. But no one asked me, so what can we do? So in the last Passover, we read here in, in this verse here in Luke twenty-two nineteen 19, that he took bread. He took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave them saying, this is my body which is given for you. And then the verse he said, then he goes on, he said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Now, the first question, which is a very relevant question, believe me, for a lot of people today, 
Was that really his body in that bread? Was that wine really his blood? Now, which leads us to the next question. Is the bread of communion really the literal body of the Lord Jesus? Is the wine or juice of communion really the literal blood of the Lord Jesus? Well, in other places, he said in John 10, 9, in John 10, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Was he literally a door or, or was he like a door? And another place he said in John 15, 5, John 15, 5, I am the vine when ye are the branches. Well, was he literally a vine or was he like a vine? And then John 6, 41, John 6, 41, he said, I am the bread. Was he literally bread? Or was he like the bread? So clearly he was saying that he was like a door, he was like a vine, he was like bread. So here, when he took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body, he meant that the bread was like his body and the same for the wine, that it was like his blood. And so when he said, this is my blood, in, 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 for example, also in Matthew 26, 28, Matthew 26, 28, when he said, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins, everyone in that room watched him at the end of the meal at that point before he, he took up that cup when he took up the bread, the matzah. Now, you know, there's something very nice about matzah. I don't know if you have, have an affection for matzah. I have a kind of an affection for matzah. It's very nice. It's nice and square. Looks better than a whole loaf, don't you think? It's all very organized. It's nice and square. It looks nice. Matzah's nice. It has these even holes running through it so it doesn't rise. It looks kind of perfect. It's kind of a very nice bread. And and he, and, he, and he takes this beautiful piece of matzah, and he breaks it. Now, there's something seems seems so tragic when you take a piece of matzah and you break it like that. I mean, it makes a noise, and pieces of the matzah go flying around. And it's been shattered. That's the way, that, that's what the Lord did. He took this perfectly good-looking piece of matzah, and, and, and he broke it, and the small pieces flew. And, and then he said, this is like my body. This was like my body. And just as the matzah cracked all over, his body was going to be violently broken. And, and that was what he was emphasizing here when he said about the matzah, it's like my body. And then he said, it's given for you. It's given for you. Now, when he says the word given, he's emphasizing that his life was not taken from him. And, and he said in John 10, 17, John 10, 17, therefore, Doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it. No man takes my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This, this commandment have I received my father. So when he says the, 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 the word about his body, that he, he gave it, it was given, he's preparing them to don't misunderstand what's about to happen to me and what you're about to see. I mean, he had told them in the past that he would be laying down his life. And now those apostles were soon going to be with him as they left that last Passover and they, uh, meal. And they went to the Garden of Gethsemane where they would see a large group of people intruding into the garden there, arresting him, and, and, and then taking him off to the court of the Sanhedrin. So by breaking that matzah, he was saying to them, remember the sound of the break of the matzah and let that remind you that I'm laying down my life. As you see all these people are coming to arrest me here, you should understand, it, it's not as it appears. It, it, it appears like, oh, I'm, I'm a victim. But no, this is all part of me laying down my body to be broken for you. And then they were going to see Roman soldiers, and Roman soldiers are going to beat them. And, 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 and then, again, 
referring to his body, it's given to you. He was again preparing them. Don't be misled by what you see. Just remember the sound of the breaking matzah and those broken pieces of matzah and let that remind you that there's so Roman soldiers and beating me is just all part of me laying down my body to be broken for you. And then they'd see the Roman soldiers nailing him to the cross. And, 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 and at that time, he wanted them to remember, remember the sound of the broken matzah and the sight of the broken pieces of matzah and understand that it's not as it appears because it was just all part of him laying down his life to be broken for them. So it was the sound of the breaking of the matzah, the sight of those broken pieces of matzah, he wanted them to never forget. And how, because it all spoke of his willingness to lay down his body to be broken for us. And that's the reason that he instituted the memorial service for an ongoing time when there would be continually the the sound of the breaking of matzah, the sight of the broken matzah, so that they could remember ongoingly his willingness to lay down his life to be broken. That's the ongoing communion time which is a memorial service that allows us to go back and remember. The communion time is the Lord's way that he made for us to remember his wonderful work when he laid down his life to be broken for us. This is what it means in Psalm 111.4, Psalm Psalm 111.4, when it says, he hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. The communion is the way that he hath made his wonderful works of laying down his life for us to be remembered. The communion service is the way that he made for us to remember that the Lord is so gracious and so full of compassion that he would lay down his life to be broken for us. And when we really engage our hearts in the communion service, there's really four characteristics that we adopt in the service. First, humility. Humility. By taking communion, we are declaring our great need for the Lord, our great need for the Savior. Second, courage. Courage to be identified with the Lord Jesus, especially in other countries where where taking communion is a very dangerous thing. Third, faith. Faith to see the death of the Lord Jesus as the only offering that's needed to come to God. To, 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 to faith, to see the death of the Lord Jesus and say, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And last, openness. Openness to accept God's sacrifice as our offering to God. Now then the Lord goes in, goes on in, in, in verse 20, Luke twenty two twenty. 20. Likewise also the cup after the supper, saying this cup is the New Testament of my blood which is shed for you. It's the cup of the New Testament, he says. As we saw, the testament is, a, is a, a covenant. It's an agreement between two parties. The testament is it's like a testament. It's like a last will and testament. And, and a will, last will and testament, is made up at a time when a person is still alive. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. 
You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Reach Israel. Join Tom Cantor for the second annual Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference in San Diego, California, February 22nd and 23rd at the Creation and Earth History Museum. Early bird registration, only $99, includes a two-day conference pass, meals, teaching, creation museum, and tabernacle admission, plus over $150 worth of equipping resources. Come hear Tom Cantor, Dr. Michael Brown, Dan Sered, and more on how we can reach the lost in America and Israel on February 22nd and 23rd. Call 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or sign up at ReachIsrael.com. That's ReachIsrael.com. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 